Hello and welcome to the Told You So podcast. I'm Brink. And I'm Carla. And today we're going to be talking about electronic mind control. Dun, dun, dun. And no, this is not a guest show with uh, Alex Jones hosting. It's actually going to be about social media, Russian interference in the elections, um, and more generally, how much can uh, people basically control your mind using this new technology of social media and social reinforcement? Um, and can they really change people's behavior, or is this threat a little bit overblown? That is a good question, and I'm not even sure we're going to agree on <laughs> the answers here today. But what sort of sparked this this conversation was the documentary Cambridge Analytica, and that mm -hmm. sort of question of there was this tech company, they were using tech really well, they worked on the Trump campaign, yep. and apparently now everyone's butthurt because they feel like... Uh, there was an unfair advantage. And so I think part of the question we would like to explore today is whether there was an unfair advantage, whether right. you can control people's minds through social media well, and, and what the role of propaganda might be. Oh, boy. Be. My voice just cracked like a... <laughs> I know. Mine cracked, too. Oh, hello, everybody. Uh, oh, my gosh. So I, uh, side note, I was, I was busily installing an air conditioner uh, in my basement and... Uh, experienced some travails and tribulations that led to me in my car in the Lowe's parking lot, hitting my steering wheel and yelling a lot. So that's why my voice is cracking a little bit <laughs> two days later. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. No, but so th I think one of the most common uh, threads in talking about the 2016 election, uh, uh, to a certain extent, it's that people just can't believe that Donald Trump won the presidential election. I, there, you know, there, I think that there was a lot of searching for, uh, not scapegoats, but explanations for how this could have happened. But I know? also wonder why people are surprised. I mean, have you looked at the candidate field over the years? Right. <laughs> it's sort of like, haven't we been working towards this sort of like peak moment where it's like, uh, we're just going to keep making it more entertainment, making it more sound bites. Everybody no one really saw Idiocracy, cares. right? Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of like, I, uh, I'm President not that Camacho surprised that, is... that, that we're here. <laughs> well, I mean, I think uh, the the interesting part, though, like I, I've always, you know, having worked in politics, I've learned to actually generally respect well-put-together polls. Um, I remember that was one funny experience on the Ron Paul campaign was uh, – the day before the election, we were polling at, if I remember correctly, it was 8%. And everybody in the universe was writing op-eds. Oh, the polls are all wrong. When I drive around, I see so many Ron Paul signs. He's going to win. He's going to win for sure. And, you know, and on the staff, we were like, he's probably going to get 8%. That's what our, you know, internal phone numbers and what the poll numbers reflect. And that was sort of the beginning of me being like, oh, yeah, like polls aren't really, I mean, they can be conspiratorial in that if you leave people off so they can't be talked about, um, then they, you know, get deplatformed and disappear. But typically polls accurately gauge the way people think about things. And I think that uh, that's sort of the main reason why people were so shocked was that the Trump election, for whatever reason, just flew in the face of all of the polling data, um, which, well, which wasn't expected. So, I, so I, anyway. I, I'm not sure if I agree with you on the polls. I mean, one thing I was surprised with the Ron Paul campaign was that people were shocked that he didn't win. Right. Like I worked on the, you know, I worked on both of those 2008, yeah. and 2012. Is, yeah, I'm talking about 2008. Yeah. And, and 
I, I mean, never in, in my wildest dreams did it ever occur to me. Like, I wasn't doing it because I thought the dude could win, you know? Yeah. And so I was really surprised when people were so devastated by it. And, and maybe that's just a different way of looking at politics, right? And yeah. just, I'm at the stage where I don't really think federally we can do that much to change things. I don't know, Trump's, Trump's sort of an a, a interesting curveball, I guess. And, and so it's, it's opened <laughs> up new, you know, new ways of talking about issues and all of that. But the question is, did the social media, like, has this become such a great force yeah. in how we play politics? And, and I choose that verb carefully because I think it is a game yeah, for a, a game lot of people, together, you know, right? and, um, and has social media become this huge influence that somehow is different to how historically things were done in the past. So maybe in terms of just thinking about how messaging happened historically. So, you know, I mean, it used to be in newspapers and people would take right. out ads and there were radio ads. And, and so in terms of the mediums, the question is, is social media such a different medium right. now than these historic ones that we've used? And I think there we should think about, well, with behavioral science and sort of stuff that is new and different to, say, a print ad where we know they use behavioral science over right. the years, right, to influence decisions, something as simple as Bernays and, and the uh, Virginia Slim cigarettes, right? right, where they said, we want more women to smoke, so how can we do that? We're going to tie it to, well, you know... Well, that's advertising and persuasion. I think that that's not, like, it's very different. Like, persuasion is not mind control. Persuasion is argument, you know? An argument is not mind control. An argument is an argument. It's a, it's a proposition that you make to people, and if you craft it right, they're going to be interested in it and adopt it. Um, well, but I don't think like, okay, so let's define some terms here. What would mind control be other than persuasion? It would be, it would be something like, <laughs> like, you know, the Monty Python sketch where the guy comes up with the funniest joke in the world. And uh, it's like they're, they translate each word separately because if you see the joke, you die laughing. Like, <laughs> I forgot that, that one. Oh, it's but such okay. a funny skit. Anyway, it's like the first episode of Monty Python's Flying Circus, which is available on Netflix. But <laughs> <laughs> I should rewatch Netflix. For sure. Sponsor us. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, but like that's kind of what I think of with mind control. It would be words or images that are so powerful that their message is irresistible that you you must do what they suggest. And and let's be honest, and let's be you know real about what we're referring to here. So with uh, the uh, Russian influence in the election, for example, the things that they were posting and running, it was like, give a like if you like Jesus, give a thumbs up if you think that Satan loves Hillary Clinton. It was just like <laughs> this ham-fisted, ridiculous crap that I... I can't imagine it convincing anyone of anything other than if they were already in that reality tunnel of like, I don't know, that this presidential election is somehow like a spiritual war. Um, maybe it might confirm what you already thought. You know what I mean? But I, I, nobody's mind was changed. Oh, you know what? I don't like that Satan fellow. And if he's working with Hillary Clinton, I don't think I can support her. I, well, <laughs> well, fair enough. But I think that one is probably not designed, say, to push your buttons or my buttons. But it's definitely there to push someone's buttons. You right. said it yourself in terms of, you know, if someone's looking at it in that paradigm. And 
they weren't just those ones, right? Like there were ones that definitely played to civil liberties. There yeah. were ones and there that were, played uh, to Black Lives Matter ones, Bernie ones. I mean, well, and that's the more interesting. So we can talk about this more later. I don't think that the purpose of those is to change anyone's mind at all. Um, I think it's to reinforce whatever your yes. biases are yes. and then exploit that in some way. But to go back to the idea of just mind control for a second, based on your definition, yeah, then I don't think people can be mind controlled either because you're either saying people have free will and they can think and they can you right. know, make an argument and they're an individual and they you know have a brain and are capable of choice and decision – or we're saying that's not the case, right. or that we're we're just in, we're completely bio computers that you can figure out the right inputs and outputs to manipulate the behavior of the bio computer. But I do think we are at an interesting stage in terms of what we understand about the human mind and sort of the science and the biology behind things, and then also like behavioral psychology. I mean, I do think that there are things that we did see in print media that have gone up a level in terms of something like social media. Okay. I mean, one of the things I was discussing, um, and I forget if we talked about this on the show, but, you know, they can tell on, on Facebook and, and with some of the intelligence algorithms, they can tell, say, whether you're bipolar or not. Mm -hmm. They can tell whether you're well, in an upswing can, or a downswing. They can predict within some range of, uh, of confidence. They can't tell. They can make a prediction within some range of confidence. Yes, that that's the <laughs> right way of framing it. But you know, for us dummies, I'll just explain it the way I'll explain it. But I mean, we, no, I, I, anyway, I think no, that, that but matters. We, we do no, of course it does, and and we do know with something like ten years ago, twelve years ago, Target, right? Yep. Did the advertising where they could tell with this very high frequency of accuracy that someone was pregnant? Yeah. And they could target like baby stuff to expecting families. Yeah. But they were also targeting it to like 15 year old girls who the algorithm told them was pregnant. Right. And and they were they were right. So we've got to assume over the past 12 years, things have become even more sophisticated and that, that frequency of how they can predict things. I just see that as all, I mean, and maybe this is because I worked in, you know, I work in marketing and communications, but like this is all awesome for human beings because it means that you don't have to hear advertisements for things that you don't want. Like this, like the, well, <laughs> it's it, all basically making it so that you can only get the messaging that's relevant to you, save everybody money. Like I'm not going to buy like pro gerontorol or whatever the hell, you know, I mean, I, it's, it's a prescription drug I just made up. <laughs> sponsor <laughs> and, us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Merck, sponsor us. Um, but, uh, no, but like I'm, I'm not going to be swayed by that ad uh, when I'm watching, you know, the TBS late night movie. Um, but they know that with some vague sense of certainty that there's going to be a demographic that's interested in it watching that programming. But like in stupid old world, I have to watch the, the prescription ads. I'm not going to buy that stuff. Right. Uh, in new Facebook world, I get ads for like T-shirts with quotes from a Robert Anton Wilson book overlaid on an illustration from a Tolkien thing, uh, you know, with like a hat that has my favorite band on it. And, you know, and it's like, that's the kind of, and I could be creeped out by that. 
or I could be excited that it's like this is the next level of product creation, the next level of capitalism in some ways where it's like you can figure out what people want and give it to them. And and I and I love all of that and I absolutely agree with that. But what I was laughing at is the only push ad I get like somewhere along the line I think it was cuz I really went online when everything with the internet for commercial use uh, and just general consumers like me was starting. And I just trained my brain from the start. I hate advertisements. Yeah. I always have television, anything. And so I just trained my brain not to see them. So I don't see them. But the one I do <laughs> see on Facebook, and it must be because I don't really click things. And I, I, I think, you know, I don't give them much information. Is always something about an, a South African girl in an American world. Like consistently, <laughs> just these weird yes. T-shirts. Oh, with yeah. Like, and you you know. them, like, I, because you give them the information, they can auto-populate the ads. Right. So like, yeah, I've gotten like... Born and raised in New York, but New Hampshire, Hampshire bred. Or, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, all right. Um, yeah, and I kind of, I mean, those ones do make me laugh because yeah. they're because they're kind of endearing and they're sweet. But the ones that are like kind of evil that I worry about are, if we're back at the bipolar example, it's like if someone is, let's say they're in a bipolar upswing yeah. and you're a gambling company that's like, you know who's a really good target market for my product? <laughs> right. Bipolar people in an upswing. Can we market free coupons to them and just lure them into our business? And right. so it's that kind of stuff. I mean, I'm not saying it should be illegal yeah, no. or anything. I just think that we should be aware of it. Yeah, so and, you should, and, well, and also people, I mean, I think that you have to develop like a somewhat sophisticated awareness of the fact that people are constantly trying to convince you to do things. Like that's, that's life as a human in the modern world is that um, there's a book I read in high school. And I can't remember who, who wrote it, but it was called Everything's an Argument. And man, it set me up to be the the total jackass I am today. But, but it's also if you but take, it's true. If, Everything is an argument. No, I mean like even even just saying, um, man, nice weather today. That's like an argument for social lubrication. The agreement that ah oh, yes, weather is good. We like nice weather together. We have something in common. It's like an argument for friendship in a way. Yep. Um, and if you analyze all these different forms of communication, uh, you can see how. You know, and and you don't want to go over the top because like beyond that door lies serious neuroses. But <laughs> but there's always a meaning behind the things that people communicate, and if you don't have that awareness in the modern world, then yeah, you're getting served up all this irresistible stuff, um, and you don't realize that like you you can't buy it all, well, and, or yeah, you can't have it all. It's, <laughs> like, if we're looking at sort of like general societal rules, I think like everything's an argument, not not a fight, just a debate or a conversation. Right. Every, everything's, but then we need to add into that is the caveat emptor, right? The yeah. buyer beware thing. Right. And I think you know we've we've stepped so far away from individual identification and individual power, right? Like we always have this sense that like you, the individual are just somehow getting screwed. But yeah. if you like flip that mindset and you actually think about yourself as I am the decision the maker, ultimate power, exactly. like I, I have all this power and I will decide, you know, so this concept of someone like, you know, Cambridge Analytica coming in and making these ads that somehow like convince like these sea of people, right. to me, it seems way more likely 
that Trump won the presidency because he was a playboy in the 80s. He's been in the media forever. I vote, read his yeah. book in <laughs> South Africa. Like he was popular worldwide. The yeah. dude had name recognition in a way that only like the Clintons, you know, could only desire. I bet you there are more people in India who knew who Trump was than who know who Hillary Clinton is. Yes. Right, no, because he was more visible. He was an international business person and all those things. And I, like, kind of a cool dude who would, like, show up in photos and, and tuxedos with, like, hot chicks on his right. arm. And, like, he kind of... He was the 80s version of Elon Musk. Yeah, I guess, with, like, a smaller head or a bigger head. I bigger don't know. Bigger head, I think. <laughs> no, but I, actually, that's... I, I meant I, physical I, I never, size, oh, but oh, they both you, have pretty big heads. I hadn't thought about that, but it is, it's interesting, like, uh, you know, the, the iconic billionaires of different eras, like... I think that the 2000s, it was that Dan Bilzerian dude. I don't even was, know who that uh, is. He's, he's just like a womanizing jerk who was one of the first people to like really embrace social media messaging and like lifestyle branding. And so it was always just like, you know, him pushing a hot girl off a boat. <laughs> like, you know, just ridiculous stuff like that. You know, uh, extravagant displays of wealth and that sort of thing. But now, like, uh, I do think that for, you know, the 2010 so far, it's been... Elon Musk is and Jeff Bezos, and they're kind of like weird technocrats. Yeah, like but you, I mean, I don't know. It's interesting. I, I don't. I, I can't mean, and I, them. you know, and I don't mean to diss uh, the Zuck, but you know, I was watching some congressional testimony that he gave the other day, yes. and I was like. You know, he's like data from Star Trek I or know. something. I mean, it's just it's it's like where are the cool people at? You know where they're at? New, New Hampshire. Hampshire. <laughs> On direct court, no, but uh, no, I think it's it is true. It's our, our our public figures have always been wonky weirdos, but you need. I mean, any, and then once in a while there'd be like suave, cool people. I mean, the Kennedys, for all intents and purposes, like they. I mean, no, I know, but they yes, but they like had this persona, yeah. and you know, it's kind of like I don't know. That's like, a whole I, different story of like how you turn a, a little more <laughs> glamour and glitz. I mean, I just have this sense of, you know, the, the politicians in the field. It's just, it's kind of, it's gross. Like, I don't want to hang out. Yeah. There is not, I'm sorry, man, because, you know, I have a lot of progressive friends. I get it. Half my friends are Democrats. <laughs> But I'm like, there is literally no one I would want to go to a dinner party with that's currently run. Uh, maybe Tulsi, Tulsi Gabbard's pretty cool. Tulsi, yeah. And well, you know, I would full disclosure. I, I had a uh, like a house party for her here at my house, uh, which was really cool. I mean, I, I disagree with her on a lot of stuff, but if Democrats are going to be voting for someone, they should be voting for someone anti-war and pro-civil liberties. So uh, I like that. <laughs> yeah. No, but I, I agree, and I think you know, it's like. A, Part of it is that they're not, like, real people it, it, to a certain extent. Like, Joe Biden has been, like, you know, <laughs> what is pardon like the expression, but sucking off the public teat for his entire life. Yep. You know, a lot of these people, they've never had, I mean, and I know that this sounds so, but they've never had a real job. And they've the never had that... a job where it's, like, you need to produce something and give it to people and make them happy with the product. And the thing that <laughs> shocks service. me is, you know, like, a lot of people, I've been following a lot of represent us on Facebook, right? Mm. So this is sort of a, sounds like it's a coalition. I, I actually got sucked in because Jennifer Lawrence was, like, in their original ad. Oh, and right. They did like that, Larry, yeah. people like Larry Lessig from. I saw right through that. Know, from the Harvard. start and no so it, it <laughs> seems like it's it's supposed to be almost like um 
I mean, if, if there was like a mashup of progressivism plus libertarianism, mm -hmm. like it seems like it's trying to kind of play in that space. But everything I see posted about that is about like corruption in government. Yeah. And I'm kind of like, but it's built into the system called government. Right. The minute you're like entrenched in it, you're on the graft, man. You're helping yeah. your buddies. You're living off the teat of yeah, the... Yeah, and I, I don't think that it's corruption in the way that people typically think that it is. Like, I, like, people make all these assumptions about, like, oh, they're handing off briefcases of cash to these congressmen. And it's like... Well, or, know, or they're flying literally, like, bales of money to... Right some foreign country i mean but that's what, no, the, that's what the, the state thing. department does are, that's that's not a company that's doing that are exactly but these things are in plain sight like yeah. there is so much corruption on so many levels i'm just gobsmacked that anyone is still like yeah we can fix this problem i mean i guess the thing is that it's you have to look at it all relatively like the level of corruption what people expect so for example in a lot of countries like the corruption is endemic through every part of every orifice of the government. But I think it's like that here. Really? I mean, I've never had to pay a cop a bribe to, like, get away with not getting arrested. I've never had to pay a bribe but to get paperwork But you don't think that a police union, uh, with the way the contracts are negotiated, we're just getting extorted at a different stage? Right, I mean, I think totally, it's like, happening. But that's a totally different and more attenuated version of what people think of as corruption. Like, I think that that's more like, uh, you could call it, like, incentive corruption or like institutional incentive you know I, what I mean I like, read a thing this morning that it was some private company that is uh, working with a defense uh, it's a defense contractor working with the Department of Defense that literally overcharges by four thousand percent on yeah. line item stuff from you know so this screw costs three three dollars in in the real world we're selling it to you for three thousand dollars yeah. and it's just like wow yeah well and it gets for, sorry twelve thousand right with government purchasing and that kind of stuff there's a lot more like graft but i think I, I don't know and i feel like i'm obsessing about words today but uh i don't know corruption seems i think that the, the character of the problems of our of our various levels of government it's not it's not that there's people handing over briefcases of money to other people. It's that there's like incentive systems in place that keep this status quo that came into existence after World War II just rolling on forever, particularly with the defense uh, spending and stuff like that. And of course, like there's there's a huge amount of any time that there's government purchasing, any time that you know Medicaid, there's a ton of corruption and fraud. Um, I mean, you right. know, two, but, two trillion dollars. <laughs> The day before 9-11, that audit came out. That discussion was literally never held yeah. after that. And it's much worse now. I think it's over $4 trillion. And the, you They know, just don't know where it is. No, and if I remember correctly, the uh, is it Anderson, the accounting company, Arthur Anderson? Yeah. Yeah, they, they like... Uh, they declined to work more with the Department of Defense because they were like, uh, these people don't have books per se, and we can't audit them because they don't have the rec the records that we need. Like, they didn't even keep basic accounting right. of all this money, trillions and trillions of dollars. But I think that's also just part and parcel of something being too big. It's just too unwieldy. Right. And I think one way people should think about it is if you have... Like if you're involved in any kind of either your family unit, whatever size that is, whatever your job is, you know, I, I've run nonprofits in, in past lives. And let's say like you're running a nonprofit that has an office of like four people and then maybe like 16 volunteers. So we'll say we got 20 people. Mm. 
within two years, if you've implemented like some software <laughs> program and you've had one set of turnover of people, things are not working yeah. according to whatever the specs were two years ago. That's with like 20 people in something you're directly in control of. Right. Now imagine the government. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. So the, the with the so that's interesting. So the their main charge with that group is is corruption stuff. I guess I just don't see that as like the central issue that that needs. Are to we be dealt are we with. talking about uh, the Jennifer Lawrence group? Oh, represent yeah. us. Well, yeah, that's mostly where they're they're posting. I mean, they're trying to talk about lobbying. They're talking about money and government, and I'm like, but money and government. Are like they, they go hand in hand because what government is in its very heart is just handing out favors. Yeah. It is taking something that should be equal, equal opportunity for everyone, right. same opportunity to do things, and government just creates mm. special classes of people and hands money to. Mm. Like if people want to get That's money out of yes, does. yes. If people no, want to not. get money <laughs> out of government, what they need to do is make. Uh, corporations pay zero taxes. That's how you would get money out of government because yeah. suddenly what you've done is you've said there are no special classes. No one needs to negotiate about this. It's zero. That's how it works. Second best to that would probably be a fair tax of some sort where we just say it's this. I bet you, though, within two years, <laughs> it would have carve-outs already. So you yeah. got to make it zero and let people be free. That's yeah. what I got. I'm not against any of that per se. I don't know. I just I don't think that... I don't think that all government does is hand out favors. I think the government uh, conceptually should do a lot of things that uh, are actually good and reasonable, like be the adjudicator of disputes through the court system and the enforcer of contracts, et cetera, through the uh, you know executive branch. Um, there's there's like there's a bunch of things that government does that are outside that, of that the realm of Congress. They should do, yeah. but that I posit are also corrupt. I think the justice system in this country is entirely corrupt, and I don't think justice is served. Anymore. Criminal justice, basically. Well, but, but torts I work pretty well. Do <laughs> they though? I, I mean, I don't know. It's not something I fully study, but a lot of what has happened with torts, as far as I can see is it's moved to the realm of it's just a battle between a corporation and the state. $5 billion, Facebook paid it or agreed to pay it two weeks ago. It's like, why is that money going to the government? Why doesn't it come to us if our privacy has been uh, offended? So a lot of like the stuff that used to be torty, yeah. and yes, there's a little bit of that. Someone will sue because they dropped a hot cup of coffee in their lap, right? And Which, although apparently they're allowed that story to get, was totally legit. Did you ever hear all like the revisionist history about that? The mm. woman that dro it's like she like everybody was laughing about it, but the coffee was actually oh, like really, they didn't really and, it, and it she got like she had to have like skin, skin removed and, and yeah yeah like that was a really like it wasn't like oh this is warm on my leg now oh which I is never how it was, I like, never late show. well yeah. I never thought that but but I did think that whatever the decision was was also absurd so it's like yeah. okay whatever right, your it was a jury that was uh, but it wasn't it like a hundred and thirty four million dollars or yeah. I I don't remember but I remember it being like a lot of money and it was just like these things aren't like. You know what the problem is, Brink? Brink's like, oh, here we go. Everything's out of balance. I'm back to that. It's I think like, it's only yes, you know what, was lady? So huge. You, like, it's, you it's what you were just yourself. saying. It's because it was this huge, massive organization versus this lady. Yes, but that's, so when, like, but that's when ostensibly torts were still working. Like, right. a lot of those and she won, kind and of she got money cases. from the giant corporation that should have, I mean, like, in an unjust system, 
that would have been thrown out immediately. No, they would have paid off the judge. No, but the thing is, I think it was unjust to the corporation. Like, I think she should have gotten made whole so and then gotten some kind of thing. But I think to say, because you're a big corporation that have a lot of money, now suddenly we're going to pay this lady, you know, we're punishing everyone and just giving, we're punishing you, the company, we're just giving the reward to this lady, seems to me like out of whack too. So corruption isn't yeah. just like the big guy screwing the little guy. Sometimes the little guy screws the big guy too. The point is things aren't like working the way they should be working and things aren't on the face of it in balance or fair. So therefore corrupt. Okay. I don't know. I'm just trying to live in like a more positive headspace in the world as I move through life. And I think that, I don't know, it's, it's, uh, it's very easy to make like big sweeping statements about these things. And I'm not, this isn't like criticism of you. I, I think that a lot of what you just said was absolutely accurate, but, um, it leaves out like the reality of life is that most of what, the government and the court system does isn't like multi-million dollar McDonald's lady lawsuits. It's like landlord tenant shit. And, um, you know, uh, contract via like, uh, See, but I think all of those like things are just so at the stage of overregulation that, mm. that it's like this, uh, to me, like the system is eating itself because it's not in balance. Like we've veered off to like, there are too many things being written down that we're trying to enforce, which, ends up making the government bigger, which then creates this thing where it's like, I don't know, man. I yeah. think, you know, we, we, we need to slice and dice it down a little. I guess, I don't know. Well, and this is like a bit of a departure from the, the topic of the show maybe, but um, I agree that I think that at the federal level, I mean, what we're doing is unsustainable. You can't spend money you don't have forever. The Republicans do it and the Democrats want to do more of it. So whoever's in power, we're like, we're locked in on this track. You know, we're on a bobsled shoot and we're going in the direction of the shoot no matter what. Um, but I guess the reason that I've been kind of softening my view and trying to think more positively about uh, a lot of these institutions and systems is that um, the scariest thing is if, if the big institutions fail and there's nothing, you know? And I don't mean scary in terms of like, I'm afraid for my safety, but like... Scary in terms of that's how you get a dark age. Like that's how you, that's how you end up when the, when the Roman Empire falls and all that's left is like the fledgling Catholic Church and that's the institution that still exists, and then you end up with six hundred years of eight hundred years of lost knowledge and and lost ability of humanity to move forward. I could see. I mean that that's my concern is that but, but i think those the, are false those are false options it's like it, it doesn't have to be one or the other oh, no, no, it no. could be you know we, i mean that's why we're here in new hampshire right, right? so that if that kind of thing happens we have a sense of how to fix that going forward and that's what i'm saying but you know with a little bit of knowledge of history like you know the french revolution was a concept of instituting radical new ideas of human rights um but there were a bunch of people that were too smart for their own good involved in it. And instead of like trying something and saying, we're going to have faith in this together because these types of institutions are things that we believe in. They had round after round of purge, you know, and that's the, that's the same thing in the Soviet union. They, instead of, uh, you know, we, 
we can like modify these existing institutional ideas. It was all old institutions are uh, relegated to the trash heap of history. We'll build a new, well, and building a new usually like leaves a lake of blood and everybody devastated. Well, so, do, uh, like, well do you think with something like? Um, deplatforming and being shadow banned and stuff. I mean, yes, there there are some really gross people where I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of glad that, you know, there there there's a platform <laughs> for like all the Nazis to go yeah. chat, you know, cuz I don't really want to see that in my feed. I get it. But I am also a big proponent of free speech. And so the question becomes, let's say we did have, you know, some kind of like French Revolution situation, right? So instead of, you know, people going out with the guillotines and whatever, the 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 modern equivalent of the guillotine is being deplatformed, right? Okay. So I've chopped off your head. You're no longer relevant. You're relegated out there. But then the question becomes, if you don't believe in free speech anymore, which is basically what our platforms have said, I mean, Facebook, yeah. all of them, they can call them community standards. That's fine. But what you're saying is you don't believe in free speech. You're going to police the speech. Right. So the question becomes, you know, what if, like, we have something and... I, I'm pretty sure, I feel like I'm starting to be shadow banned. Like, I'm mm. po posting way more publicly, and suddenly I don't think Facebook thinks I'm a moderate anymore. Yeah. Facebook apparently now knows that I have some strong opinions yeah. about the state. Well, I think that it's really interesting because I, I've i been thinking about this a lot. I work for a company, obviously, that was founded. Uh, it's called Library, L-B-R-Y. It was founded... Uh, really as a like a safeguard for free speech. That's the the core mission is the idea that it's a, a decentralized internet um, where if there are big you know tech giants that want to shape conversation that you literally can't do it because it's based on a protocol uh, that nobody controls. Um, so anyway, point being, it's interesting to watch these platforms because if you think about it and like we're in this new world where there's the physical world, and then there's this, you know, meta world above us where it's a bunch of disembodied brains. Metadata with, world. Right. Okay. With, with, so, right. It is a metadata world. No, but it's, it's a bunch of disembodied brains with, like, a human suit on. And the human suit says, like, I, I voted for this person. I like this band. I like this TV show. I've, I've, I, I associate with these kinds of things. Um, you know, it's like your little laundry list of who you are. Uh but it's it's a summary of you as a human being. Um, so in that meta space, these new platforms, they've set up, if you think about it, the equivalent in the physical world would be like Disneyland. You know, they've set up these parks where they let anyone can come and they don't even charge entrance. And in the park, what you can do is find other people that like the things that you do. Um, so I like the the metaphor of deplatforming as a guillotine, et cetera. I don't know if it's accurate because if I went to Disney World and started street preaching, then they would kick me out because it's their park, you know, and I have no right to do something that they don't want me to do in their park. Um, and that's the problem with platforms as a concept. I think that maybe we all got a little ahead of ourselves thinking that these giant tech companies, which are just advertising platforms at their core, that's why they're successful is that they deliver ads to you. That's the whole point. It's And, and in that way, it's just like it's the same issues that YouTube but that's and that television is dealing started, with. But that's not they started, though, right? They uh, started as sort of genuine. A lot of them well, started as... They started as, as a way to find hot chicks. That yeah, <laughs> Facebook yeah. I mean, was sure. literally... <laughs> yes, exactly. Rate right? these girls. When you rate these girls, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um, 
So I think the advertising just always comes. I mean, I'm sort of starting to change my views a little bit on advertising because um, I what what was really cool is there was this little moment where it was pretty much like people it, uh, it was about when products were remarkable meaning yeah. that people would tell each other right so it became like you couldn't really lie about your you couldn't be like hey these cigarettes make means you have a yacht and <laughs> right. you know a hot chick in a bikini and bloody blah because you turn it's into like a yeah, sexy actually, camel man. You know, <laughs> every, everyone knows that it gives you wrinkles and makes you uh, die right. you know um, and, and so there was this moment and I feel like we, you know, once again, they figured out, I mean, I think there's this constant just quest of people who want to sell you shit yeah. and it's amazing because some of it is really the stuff you want, but a lot of it is just crap. Well, and I think the other thing that's so interesting is so much of it, it's not just people that want to sell you shit. It's people that want they want you to buy it from them and not someone else. Cause that's more like the revolution that's happened. It's that. Now there's 30 companies that are making that goofy T-shirt and they need, you know, they all know that they can target people really precisely. And now they're fighting with one another for the quality of their advertisements so that when you inevitably buy the thing that they're selling, that you're buying it from them and not but, from someone else. But then let's take that back to politics, right? So if we look at the roster of candidates, right, and we yeah. can go, okay, here are your 30 products, and people are just figuring out, like, which product to sell to which people, which is in the uh, in the Analytica case. Yeah. That, based on the documentary I watched anyway, I was like, so why – everyone's saying that someone did something wrong here, but I don't really see it that way. I'm right. like I, – I just feel – feel like a bunch of people got outsmarted and a, a bunch of people use technology better. Well, they, they just use advertising me- technology message. for politics. Yeah. yeah. And it's so funny that the, the result of it has been that, you know, Facebook is like, oh, you have to be a legitimate political organization to do this now. As if that, I mean, oh, yeah, the, the, the freaking DCCC and RNC are really ethical organizations that are going to just hew to the truth now that they've registered. And, you know, it's ridiculous. Right. Like, it's just and, and ridiculous. Then, and then to give you a sense, like I, I serve on Right to Know New Hampshire's board, which is a, you know, coalition of open government and transparent, accountable government advocates. Right. And uh, like we're not some fancy org. We don't have, you know, nonprofit status or whatever. It's literally a bunch of people who meet once a month and are just passionate about keeping government open and transparent to the people. And so I tried to boost a petition <laughs> off the right to know page yeah. and they wouldn't let me boost it. Like I'd fundraised a hundred bucks and it's a petition about, you know, a secret list of bad New Hampshire. Oh, the Lori list, yeah. And, you know, we, uh, if people want to know, they can go listen to, uh, you know, I think the first or the second episode. And I was just like, wow. So because we're not authorized and registered through Facebook and I couldn't actually complete that information. Yeah. We don't have an EIN. We don't have a social security number. Oh, that's we right. Because you, you have know. to actually be incorporated as like a 501 Yeah, something. and so I was like, okay, I can boost it off my Senate page, but then I had to go back to the donors, and some people are like, well, the, like my love of open government has nothing right. to do with your Senate, run. Senate race, so no, yeah. I want my money back. There may be a way to do that from your from just a personal page. But again, but the whole point of it is to get people like it's the advertising to understand, funnel. Yeah, and yeah. to understand that right to know New Hampshire is out there and that, you know, we care yeah. about 
that issue. And so I was like, wow, that's really interesting because when they when they shut down the ad, they send you, I was like, what, what happened here? And they send you a long list of sort of say, well, this is social issues. And right. so if it deals with any of these things, and it was like government reform oh, yeah, is like one of these <laughs> things now where I was like, what? I well, go on a list if I advocate for government reform? Well, and so this is, but this is, so think about it this way though. And this was, I was the point I was kind of getting at is that like the difference between those things, um, hang on. So the difference, <laughs> the difference between like those platforms and the, the free speech that we expect, it's like the difference between the ability to publish a book versus the ability to get published in a magazine, um, or the ability to publish videos on your own site Versus the ability to get on CNN and talk about what you think, you know. Um, well, so it's I like no, because I think that YouTube, you know, I mean that that I think it goes back to that sort of idea of what is a platform. But like, forget right? about YouTube. You can always just make a video and post it on your website. Yes, and then, I do that all the time. No, CarlaGarrett.com. So, so this is what I'm saying is that like none of that. <laughs> good plug, but <laughs> none of that is. Um, <laughs> None of that is uh, is gone. You can always still, I mean, with some exceptions, like the whole 8chan thing with Cloudflare. Did you hear about this whole story recently? The 8chan is this uh, message board that's like, It's like you know, four um, times better than 4chan. Yes, it's, it's a, a hive Twice of, better. of scum and villainy by all accounts, including the people that use it. And they, uh, Cloudflare is a big hosting company, and they shut down the hosting for the site, um, basically on uh, political grounds. And not not like they're conservative. Like there was a murderer that posted his manifesto and blah blah blah. And it's like the second time that's happened. But but then arguably for all the times that a news media site has published someone's manifesto, remember the dude who yeah. flew into an in airplane Texas, into right? uh, like an IRS building or yeah. something, right? And he had posted something, and I think that was the last manifesto I, I read. Think the, I think. <laughs> Although I will, I think that posting manifestos are like that's a that's a product of the internet age. Yeah, and it's become sort of a trend. Because I don't think that they would like the New York Times wouldn't have put out. And again, the New York Times wouldn't have put out like what Timothy McVeigh wrote. But I'm certain that there's books that are like the writings of Timothy McVeigh. You know what I mean? Like there's there's always been this split where there's the there's the self promotional uh, message that needs to be. Uh, like given to people so they can purchase just that message versus the next higher level uh, media where there's advertisements interspersed and due to that to keep things, you know, copacetic for the masses so that it can be a mass media product. Um, they temper, you know, the, uh, the intensity. So like, where do you, <laughs> where do you fall out on the idea of, not having the media sort of cover these shootings and that kind of stuff. We might have to wrap up here very soon. Yeah, there's, soon. <laughs> there's a chainsaw that's uh, revving away. It looks pretty we, quiet. We, we, we live in a very interesting, <laughs> awesome place where, you know, you could be on a podcast recording and also have um, someone sawing down a tree right next Unexpectedly, to you. Unexpectedly, <laughs> they're supposed to be in the backyard. Um, <laughs> but no, so... Um, so the idea of uh, not talking about the mass shooters, you know, their identity. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that makes sense. The issue is that really, and from a psychological standpoint, and again, I'm, I'm not a psychologist, but I think that uh, these behaviors, it's a, it's a behavior that gets modeled by somebody engaging in this terrible sort of act, uh, and then people think that it's okay. I mean, it's the same in terms of... Uh, 
and this is like a sad example. Oh, and that's so I lent Carla my favorite book, The Righteous Mind, and I don't know if she's finished it yet. I haven't I, finished it yet. If I'm I remember halfway. correctly, there's a section in there about how um, when uh, a celebrity commits suicide, that there can be halo effects uh, in terms of suicide rates will go up uh, after that. Uh, and it seems kind of counterintuitive and crazy, but the reason is that you see a respected person exercising their option to do that and you say, oh, well, maybe that's an option. Um, and it moves it up, you know, however so slightly up the list of things that you might do because you had that behavior modeled for you. And it's the same issue with, wow. like, you know, abuse and stuff like that. It's the same right. sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, when you create counterculture heroes out of monsters who murder people, uh, it's going to pique the interest of some other people who think I have no way to exist in this world. And, uh, and I think it's really sad because in some ways this is, I think a lot of these shootings, I mean, they're, they're the shootings themselves, but it's also, it's just been very much hijacked by uh, gun control lobbyists, right? Yes. Like we, we saw that very specifically here in New Hampshire this week, right? Where there were three bills. They're basically all red flag bills. Yeah. And the governor had, you know, he, he needed to decide if he were going to veto them or not. And, um, the bills had actually been on the desk of the, the Democrats for a while, and somehow they waited until the Monday after two weekend shootings to yeah. bring it out. So there was this hoopla here where people were saying people on both sides were <sighs> sort of yeah. politicizing things, right? And the governor in the end did the right thing, and he, he said, look, we are the safest state in, the, in America. We uh, have very lenient, I guess, if, you know, if you're looking from a control paradigm, uh, gun laws, but, you know, basically we have really good, uh, uh, you know, it's constitutional carry and right. all of that stuff here. Um, and we are very safe. It's and the I, safest, if not the second safest, it's always like between us and Vermont, which is the other state, state. with the most, uh, liberal gun laws, exactly. liberal meaning free yes. as we discussed in the last episode <laughs> and, and or so, the episode, excuse me. <laughs> you know, and so there's this issue of, if we are going to circle back to the concepts of sort of propaganda and mind control and how, you know, how, you know, are, do, do people. So I think it's important for people to think about how things are being exploited. And mm -hmm. so I feel like the media or at least the mainstream, media, I think it would be fair to characterize as people who would like to see more gun control. Typically, yeah. And so there's a vested interest for them in terms of furthering their narrative to definitely con uh, to, to cover these stories and right. to cover them in a certain alarming way. And, you know, if you talk to the average person in America now, they think school shootings you know, or people dying from these kinds of things have gone materially up. But statistically speaking, people, you're more or less likely to get harmed by uh, a gun now than you were in the past. Right. And, and you not know, just in, in, you know, your person, like the murder rate has gone down. Murder with guns has gone down. School shootings have been, from what I understand, about the same. But the idea of like school shootings and mass shootings and using all of these different terminologies where I think mass shooting means any shooting where somebody more than like where more than four people are injured. Mm -hmm. um, but that includes all sorts of things like bar fights. And you know what I mean? Where it's like that th th when people say mass shooting, I, th I think that typically they mean a guy goes nuts and shoots up a bunch of strangers. And that's like that thing by itself is not on the rise. 
and gun violence in general is falling. And I think that the I, just what you're saying about the um, sort of propagandization uh, of these events is that what's really unfortunate about it, and it's the same thing with like economic policy, it's the same stuff that gets trotted out over and over again. And then when you look at it and it's like, wait, these policies wouldn't have even stopped this thing that just happened right. from happening. Why are, how are you using this as a lever to get people to move? I mean, and that to me is sort of the core question is I, I, I tend to think, you know, if we had, if we had fair and balanced, I forget, is that Fox, Fox News, News or whatever, right? So they're not fair and balanced. Well, and then, no one's fair and balanced. Like they're all trying to manipulate you in some way. The question right. is just if you're going to let your mind be controlled or not. Or are you going to take charge of your own mind? Exactly. And so I just think, you know, if people actually, like imagine if the theory, which I hold to be true, that all these shootings take place in gun-free zones. Yep. So gun-free zones, to me, seems like a really stupid idea if you want to actually protect right. yourself. Because those people and want to go harm innocent, defenseless people. that are, you know, e an easy target. Right. And what's an easier target than sitting ducks? Right. Literally. And, <sighs> and so I, I always think, but imagine if the message that was being put out there, like if I, you know, if I could f wave my magic wand and be like, in my perfect world, people would know and understand the following things. Right. The thing would be that, you know, you are a individual and you're allowed to make up your mind yourself and that logic must surely dictate to you <laughs> that if there's this one place that doesn't have guns where everyone goes to hurt people, right. maybe mm -hmm. the solution isn't to take more guns away from people. Because you know what? The other thing is criminals don't follow laws. Yes. <laughs> like that guy, whoever, whatever gun control you introduce is not going to solve this problem. Right. So and in a lot of ways, I mean, as we talked about on an earlier show too, it, it's like the, the point of the law is it's not to prevent something. You can't prevent something from happening with a, with a law. You can only like uh, formalize how it gets adjudicated after it happens. So that's all this gun control. It's like if you, if you want to murder people and you don't care that it's illegal for you to buy a gun, you're going to do it anyway. Anyway, th this is all. And also just to bring it up, the, uh, I would say that like the equal and opposite poorly reported issue would be crimes by uh, immigrants, undocumented, documented, illegal, legal, whatever terms you want to use. But, oh, my God, I, I listen to Fox News in my car because I have satellite radio. So I like to get, you know, I like to be tuned into the reality tunnels that are available. <laughs> and... <laughs> Man, it'll it'll be like we use tonight. reality tunnels in air quotes. Yeah, yeah. no, 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 but it's like uh, it's always like tonight, an illegal, undocumented Mexican murdered a beautiful white lady. <laughs> and, like, and, it, and, and it's literally like, didn't we see that with Reefer Madness? Hold yes. on, what is the messaging? And that's what drives me insane too, right? Is if you look, if you're a student of propaganda and marketing there's and messaging new. and persuasion, <laughs> there's nothing new. All that changes is like who's trying to hysterically sweep a right. certain group of people up to do what? Question mark. And so everyone should constantly be asking themselves, who Who's trying to make me well, do what for what reason? And would it be better if I just hung out with my friends and gardened a right, lot? Right. <laughs> well, and the reason it keeps working or, or not, you know, the reason it keeps landing with people is that humans are humans. And so, like, we have somewhat predictable levers that people can push 
because we're monkeys. Well, the thing is think also, about the fact that we're monkeys. But That's the thing is, like, it's, it's, it's people who are attracted to power, I think, yes. and control where this thing goes, right? Because I was joking before the show. I said, you know, I'm going to start my own movement, and it's going to be called the <laughs> Myob movement, the mind your own business <laughs> movement. And everyone should just mind their own frigging business. And yeah. think about it. If that was actually the case, then you wouldn't actually have to worry about poverty and other people's problems. Because you would start first with your own. You know what? If you want universal health care and you are not a fit human being who is doing everything humanly possible to make yourself healthy by yourself, by what you eat and what you put in your mouth and how much you exercise and how much you sleep and all of that crap... Screw you! I don't want to pay for your health insurance. Well, that's that what the choice like, I'm making. That sounds like an argument made from a place of privilege, of ability to take care of yourself. You know what? The only way the world moves forward is when people I and I give to charity. I help. I work at food beds. I do all of that stuff. Some too. of my best friends are charities. <laughs> 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 and you know so so it's not it's not privilege it's this is how things evolve so that we all move forward and prosper right i'm just playing devil's advocate obviously. i understand but i think that no and, and i get what you're saying i think the counter argument is obviously there's and, and it, you know it's where Here's, there is some value to the privilege argument. there there are people who actually can't do this like you know if you have uh, like a really serious disability that stops you from working ever like and your parents die I know that now we're talking like lifeboat scenarios but there's all kinds of people that yeah, exist but you know what? in a I, world I, of hundreds I, of millions actually, of people I've started thinking about this and these these kinds of like outlier ridiculous scenarios that people bring up as yeah. counter arguments to stuff I'm calling it straw man it's like, you know, it's just, it's nonsense. I'm tired of it. It's, <laughs> I'm just, no, I'm well, not even having that. Like I have, you know, uh, there's, uh, I know people, you know, where their kids have Down syndrome and they can't live without a helper and their parents aren't wealthy. Like, what do you, what do they do? Private Die? charity. No, private charity, voluntary help, churches, all of that, right? So I'm back to like, if we not... geographically go back to, instead of going... I need to care about the whole friggin' world or America or right. whatever. Like, I'm down to I care about my, my state and my city and, most of all, my street. And if people can just reclaim, you can reclaim your independence by yeah. actually going back to, like, I want to inspire people. And, and I will wrap this up because I know we're, we're close to time. But the beauty is that we get to create our own propaganda channel through this show. And, right. and Brink and I don't always see eye to eye, but it costs us nothing. I waddle across the street, <laughs> you know, and here, you know, and here we are and we get to tell people. And, and I think that is exciting yeah. and, and something to, to revel in because it's like they can't control. They can control the message in terms of the big platforms. But you know what? Things have gotten cheaper and people like us get to to also say we have a voice and we're going to go out there and we're going to say what we believe and hopefully we can change one person at a time. Yeah, and it's just like the, uh, like I was saying, the, the old-fashioned, you know, we got ourselves a printing press here and we're going to print out some tracts and nobody can stop me from handing out my tracts. But... <laughs> <laughs> 
will be doing a truth drop <laughs> every week, every Wednesday. Yeah. No, but I mean, yeah, I, th- I think that the um, the issues you're just talking about, and I get, you know, I I I like to overthink things, so I, I like to think about uh, how would people react when you tell them that, and it is that they think about uh, the outlier cases. I think partially because that's been like the pitch, and it's kind of funny that um, you know the state as an institution has gone from like. Theoretically, like everybody thinks that it's like protector of the weak and also rapacious stealer of all value. It, well, it's that's so why, but that how, to me, yeah. but that to me is why I can I feel definitively entirely safe in saying that it is a entirely corrupt system at this stage, mm-hmm. at least on a federal level. Yeah, it's because of that. It's because yeah. like they're just they got a finger at like they're they're they're, they're working it from all. Well, angles. and that there's like it seems to me that there are like processes in motion that can't apparently can't be stopped. Like, that's when you watch poor Senator Rand Paul. And I know that, that'll probably I mean, some people don't like Rand Paul because he's not libertarian enough. Some people hate him because he's a Ayn Rand acolyte libertarian radical, uh, which usually, you know, if you're in that zone, you're probably doing something pretty right. But <laughs> um, no, but like when he talks about the, the, the federal budget and it's like, oh, my God, you guys like we keep funding the government with continuing resolutions. We we don't have the money that we need for these things. We're pretending like this doesn't matter. Like there's there's candidates and and now like the whole modern monetary thing where they're just like, no, no, it doesn't matter. It's all fake. So that means that there are no rules. And it's like, no, sometimes like if you play checkers, it's all fake. But if you break the rules, the game doesn't work anymore. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> if you well, start saying my checkers can fly, then the game's not fun anymore for anyone. But, but I mean, honestly, here's where we're at. Is the game is working just fine for a whole lot of people. And those people are either in government or crony capitalists, yeah. right? And that game is working pretty fine just because they're the average exploiting... income in Northern Virginia and around Washington, D.C. for the past decade, if you want proof. Yeah, <laughs> and, and so, I mean, it's it's real, it's true, it's, it's there, and it's up to the rest of us to just say enough's enough, and we don't even have to take them down. All you need to do is you need to withdraw your consent, you need to say, I'm going to focus on me and mine, I'm going to get my own business... In order, and then I'm going to mind my own business. Well, and to wrap that around to sort of the topic that we started with here, which I think we kind of stuck to, is that <laughs> um, social media by its nature broadens your world, right? It like broadens and restricts it at the same time. It makes you know that there are people that are like you uh, in Australia, but it also makes you think that only people that are like you matter. Because you keep meeting people that are like you and closing down these walls of communication with other people. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it was really interesting. I was listening to this uh, – shoot, I forget the name of the guy that was talking. But it was Glenn Lowry and he was interviewing a gentleman that uh, – spoke about political polarization and how these, you know, tribes have gotten much more uh, willing to fight, sort of, or, like, their identity matters a lot more to them. Like, one of the things that they uh, used an example was uh, now there are more, there are far more people, like, uh, Republicans that would be much more concerned with their child marrying a Democrat than with their child marrying, like, a person from another ethnicity or, you know, these things where it used to be, like, guess who's coming to dinner, it's a Democrat. (laughs) (laughs) Unacceptable. You know, they got to remake it with like a dude with a man bun instead of Sidney Poitier. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but the thing is also just to get back to the, the, um, 
you know, the messaging, like, like one, one thing that really shocks me is, did you know that only about one to 3% of Americans earn the minimum wage? Yes. Right. And then think about how many times a week you hear about the minimum the fight for wage. 15 yeah and and that's been over the decades right so so i think that's an example of manipulation because here's a real truth there are more libertarians in america than there are people who earn the minimum wage. Yep. So why can't our ideas about peace and prosperity and free markets and cooperation and trade get any airtime unless well, the entire our, our system is corrupt? Because our ideas aren't recruiting tools for organized labor, which is what the fight for 15 is. I mean, if you notice, uh, I think it was the Janus decision happened, the SEIU sort of dropped off the face of the earth as far as anyone caring about them. And now all of a sudden, all those same people are showing up and fighting for 15. Oh, they're, they're fighting for 15 and talk about push ads on Facebook just oh, yeah. to like bring it all back. Uh, that is certainly one I'm seeing a lot of is I am getting a lot of union, like a lot of yeah. push union ads. And I was like, there's a lot of money going into something where you're marketing entirely to the wrong demographic. Yeah. Well, this is, and it's, and it is interesting. I, I think that, uh, as far as ideas getting picked up by people, um, it's all about like who they're useful for and what it sounds like, what uh, what um, values it sounds like they're servicing. So like minimum wage is one that sounds really good to silly people um, who don't understand economics. And I know that sounds judgmental, but it's like when everybody that studies economics disagrees with the concept, maybe you should listen to them. Maybe. Um, but, <laughs> no. it, it, it might almost be like... We told you so. <laughs> exactly. Well, uh, thank you so much for listening today. I hope that you learned a little bit about social media advertising, persuasion, and uh, the Russian spam bots that are probably going to murder us in our sleep. <laughs> so really, I uh, hope you enjoyed it, and uh, we'll see you next time. Peace out. Bye.